If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. When we talk to people about the necessity of baptism, we usually give them several passages of Scripture. Our, our first thought usually is to go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we may go to Romans 6. That's where I like to start. We might go to Paul's conversion in Acts 9 and then go to uh, his story being told again in chapter 22 of Acts. Uh, but there are a lot of passages on baptism. It's very hard to find a New Testament book that doesn't mention baptism or being raised to, to, to walk in a new life. But tonight, I want us to recognize uh, some things that, that we can see that baptism does not do. Now, Billy shared with me a message uh, last week or two weeks, I think it was last week. George Bailey has a sermon on uh, seven things, I think it's seven or eight things that baptism cannot do. So I'm adding a little bit to that tonight. Uh, But we were talking about this subject this week earlier, and I thought, you know, I can't, I need to preach that too. So we need a couple lessons on baptism. And I thought since most of us here have been baptized into Christ, this might be a good Sunday night message. Now, it certainly is applicable on Sunday morning as well, but as a reminder to us about not only what baptism does, but also what baptism not, does not do, it'll help us in our own individual walk. Uh, I want to begin in 1 Peter chapter 3 with some words from Peter that shines a little more light on the message he gives in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter doesn't do a lot of reflection. There's a couple of times he mentions some things like the transfiguration uh, and his walk with Jesus and recognizing Jesus as the good shepherd in chapter 5. But for the most part, Peter's just giving messages to the church, uh, some different things that they need to work on or they need to be working towards. And in this section here in chapter 3, I want to begin at verse 18, he's going to talk about Jesus' suffering and what that means for us. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, verse 21. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So Peter basically says, and and you can see here, that baptism saves. So if you have somebody who comes to you and says, well, you know, I'm not really sure that baptism is essential for salvation. We can start next too. 
Uh, we can back up all the way to the Gospel of Matthew and look at some passages, but this is a good place to start because Peter's the one who preaches in Acts 2. And he preaches on baptism because when they ask what they need to do to be saved, he says you need to repent and be baptized. So if Peter's teaching on baptism, I want to know what he's talking about. I want to know what he means by the term that he uses. And so 1 Peter 3 is some insight into what he sees baptism as. Just as the water and the ark of safety was placed for the salvation of eight souls through Noah and his family, God also saves us through water, with water in baptism. So he says it's an antitype. In other words, a shadow or a copy. It's a, a similarity in the Old Testament to something that God does in the New Testament. And just like they needed the ark of safety, we need also Jesus and his blood to cleanse us from sin in order to be raised up, come out of the ark, if you will, to new life. And what a great illustration. It's a beautiful, beautiful illustration. But the point is, he says, if they couldn't have been saved by not getting on the, on the ark, and by the way, God shut the door. He's the one who determined that they could be saved on that floating box for a year. He closed the door and he saved those souls. We too need a vessel by which we can reach salvation through Jesus Christ and water is the method by which it happens. And so he says, don't forget, this is the illustration. Then he also says something that's very important for our lesson tonight. And that is that there are some things that baptism is not. Baptism is not a bath. It's not a washing away of filth from the flesh. It's not going in, you know, people say, well, I, you know, I, need, a, I need a shower, I need a bath, I need to go take a shower. Well, you probably do, okay? But it is not the time of baptism to get a bath. This is something about our conscience, it is about our heart, and it is about our willingness to submit to the teachings of the Lord. So tonight I want to share with you 10 things that through scripture we can see baptism cannot and will not do. Are you ready? All right. Number one, baptism cannot and will not give you a license to sin. God does not give you permission once you have been baptized into Christ to do whatever you so please. It says in, here in chapter 3 that baptism does now save, but we also know from reading Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death, and we are still sinners because we live in a broken world and we do things that we know we shouldn't do. We ask for forgiveness, we repent, the cleansing of Jesus' blood is continually upon us, but we must stay on the straight and narrow. If you've been baptized into Christ, that doesn't mean that you're once saved, always saved. You must continue to do things, which we'll notice those as we go through tonight. But the Bible teaches us, again, Romans 3, Romans 6, that we ought to know that the old man was crucified and the new man has been raised up through the body of water, through baptism, to walk in a new Life And Romans 6, 6 says in order to do that, you cannot sin. You stay away from sin. You don't have a license to do whatever you want. He says, uh, you know, should we continue in sin? The grace of man? God forbid. We wouldn't do that. Sin is something to be avoided. We put off the old man. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, in a sermon, he was talking about the importance of baptism. And he said this. He said, without holiness, no man shall see God because sin must be slain. You have to kill it. And so when you sin, every time you sin, you have to kill it again. You have to bury it again. You pray and you ask for forgiveness from sins, even though you were once cleansed on one date. You may have it in front of your Bible. Maybe you remember your spiritual birthday. 
But that does not mean that you can continue to sin. You can't just continue to do what you need to do or you think you need to do. You need to repent. Uh, again, Ephesians 4, talks about how we have this new life in Christ. So that's important. Number two, baptism cannot keep you from being tempted. Now, temptations are going to come immediately after Christ was baptized. We're told that the devil came to tempt him 40 days in the wilderness. I tell people every time, told Kim just a couple weeks ago, when you come out of this water, the devil's coming after you. He's going to do everything he can to try to dissuade you, to discourage you, to frustrate you. He's going to turn people against you. That's the way the devil works. He will also try to reintroduce sin in our lives. When we say, I'm no longer that person, I don't want to do that anymore, there will be things that come up and we will be tempted because of those sins. Sometimes baptism uh, does not relieve us of our guilt. We still feel sorry for the things that we've done. We probably have had nights where we've kept ourselves up thinking about things that we did back before we became a Christian. We say, I'm not that person anymore, but I still worry about those things. You say, what do you do about that? Well, Jesus says, you know, it's not fit for you, the kingdom, if you're going to keep your hands on the plow and look back. But, but, Paul does reflect on his past life only to remind himself that he was not that person. You ever looked at an old photo album of yourself? We have a couple of these little plaques where the kids' pictures can go from kindergarten all the way around to their senior year. You know, you ever seen those? Or have you ever looked at a photo album, look back at your memories on Facebook, and you say, oh man, look at this 15 years ago. You know, they were just babies. Or maybe this was before I was married, or this was before whatever. And so you, you think back, if we could go back and watch ourselves earlier in our lives, we would think it was almost not just an out-of-body experience, but you say, I, I'm not even that person anymore. I, I'm, a, I'm a totally different person now. Well, that's wonderful, but we still have the guilt of sin, and we have to be on guard not to repeat those sins. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the idea of recognizing that we can continue to be tempted. Now, he's going to give us a way of escape. He's going to give us an opportunity to avoid it, but we have to be looking for those. Uh, I'm reminded of Galatians 5 and verse 4. It talks about one falling from grace. Uh, Hebrews 6 says the same thing about falling away. And so we need to stay away from sin, Baptism doesn't keep you from being tempted. Number three, baptism cannot remove the bitterness or the bitter fruit of sin that you've committed. Sin often leaves a scar. And again, I said guilt, sometimes it's sadness, it's, it's depression for who we were and what we once did. And now we have been changed, we have been forgiven. But through sin, in an early part of our life, we may carry consequences, whether it be from alcoholism or abusive sexual activity. Those things can bear scars in your body and in your mind that will frustrate you until the day you leave this earth. You need to learn to forgive yourself and guard your mind against that guilt, but it's going to be there. And so you may still have that bitter bitterness of the fruit of the sin that you have partaken with. So the Bible promises remission of sins. It promises the, the removal of sin, but it does not promise the removal of the effects and the consequences of the sins that we've committed. Those memories are planted there. And, and yes, they can be frustrating, but again, like Paul, we look back and we say, you know, I'm not who I once was. I'm not any of those things that does not identify who I am. My identity now is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul talks about himself. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, 
he sees himself as a chief of sinners, and he puts it in a present tense. He's recognized his previous sins, but he says, also, I'm still a sinner. I still make mistakes. And so relieving yourself from the bitterness of sin and the fruit of sin is to avoid those sins. And when you have that guilt or that scar from something, share it as a part of your testimony. Do you know why Paul converted so many people? Because everywhere he went, he told about who he was and now who he is. And that's part of our story, is we say to people, I used to be this, but I'm not that anymore. You see, people don't relate to saints because they're not one. They relate to sinners. And so the way we convert people is by telling our story, not just telling someone what they need to do to be saved, but telling people what we did in order to be saved. And by telling them you are saved, you have to also tell them that you were a sinner and you made these mistakes. And so baptism, baptism doesn't necessarily remove that. Number four, baptism will not remove all the problems in your life. You don't come out of the water and go, man, life is good. I'm never going to have a problem again. No, instead, it doesn't take away the problem. It, it should to, it ought to take away the way we look at our problems, our sins, our temptations. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you overcome these things. Later in chapter 14, he says, when we give in to sin, that sin will give birth to more sin and it brings death. There's, a, there's a, a time when those mistakes are innocent and we realize, man, I shouldn't have done that. But if you continue to do it and you know that it is wrong and there's not repentance there, you will be lost. And so baptism cannot remove every problem from your life. God will give you a way of escape to avoid those things. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that we are now soldiers. We put on the whole armor of God. You know, we put on the whole armor of God. I always think it's interesting that we'll put up posters and stuff of people in our, in our classrooms. We'll put up pictures and things of the armor. Uh, but then we don't have people walking around <laughs> with the armor on. I think it'd be really great to have a vacation Bible school or something like that where, where we're dressed in armor for the whole day, maybe the whole week. And if y'all haven't seen the photo of little Jackson in the whole armor of God that Miss Ann painted him, you, you, you're missing out. What a beautiful little picture of him wearing the whole armor of God. It's awesome. We need to take up our armor. That means we live and we walk in the light and we recognize that if the devil's going to continue to come after us, we may have faults and failures. Those problems are not going to be automatically erased. It's not like as soon as you come out of the water, the devil goes, uh-oh, guys, uh-oh, he's got the Holy Spirit now. He's, he's walking with Jesus. Stay away from him. You know, we don't want to get any close to him. We're going to get in trouble. No, he says attack. And we have to be ready on the defensive. Another thing we know baptism will not do is baptism will not remove our responsibilities. It will not remove our responsibilities to walk in a new life. You shed the skin, the clothes, if you will, of who you once were, and you walk now in a new life. We, are, we rise up from the grave, literally. We were at one time dead in the grave, and that's what baptism is. It's a burial, and then we rise up 
Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we're cleansed. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have been given the power of resurrection. And when we come up, we now seek the things which are above. And I love that, that line by Paul in Colossians. Because if we, if we go down into that water, we're now above it. We rise above the sin. We're, not no long, we're no longer that person that we were when we were down there. We rise above it. Christians rise up, just like Jesus. The resurrection is a great story. Billy had a good message this morning about resurrection and about the stone being rolled away. But you know, just as powerful as the resurrection of Jesus was, your resurrection is too. It's powerful because you now walk in a new life with eternal life because Jesus died once for you and now you have died to sin. And just like Jesus once ascended into heaven, we will also meet the Lord in the air. It is a promise. James 1 and verse 27 reminds us also that we need to live a spotless life. That when we come up out of the water, we say, I've got to have this responsibility to live a godly life. He, he puts it there, pure and undefiled religion. You make sure you take care, visit the orphans and widows in their affliction, but you also keep yourself unspotted from the world. You have a responsibility. You are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So God has ordained that we walk in him and walk by those good works in order to receive salvation. And baptism cannot allow you to abstain from any responsibility. In fact, that's when you are given the accountability to talk to people about Jesus Christ. Number six, baptism cannot change you physically as much as some people would like to think that once you come out of the water grave of baptism and you can now, by access through Jesus Christ, have prayers taken into the holiest of holies in heaven, you can't think for a moment that now suddenly that God is hearing and answering all your prayers that you're going to have your physical ailments taken care of. And there are sometimes we, and I speak for myself included, when I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed and I cannot understand why hours and days and months of fasting and tears and prayer and God does not say yes. That hurts. It hurts. Why, why is God not answering my prayer? Why is he not doing what, I mean, he's promised to, for, to, to be with me, to take care of me. Why can't he answer my request? It doesn't mean that as soon as you become a Christian that every single thing you need is going to be given to you. Look at Paul's life. Now, Paul's a great example, a great man of God. But the Bible tells us that he suffered and struggled with what he calls in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, a thorn in the flesh. Do you remember that? And he said, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed again. And the answer was not, Paul, I'm going to remove the thorn. The answer to him was, my grace is sufficient. And you see, that, that answer doesn't sound like the answer Paul wanted. You bet it didn't. And sometimes God says no, but by his grace, which is sufficient, he provides for us the things we need. And being healed was not one of them. A couple more examples. One is Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23. Timothy was sick. And Dr. Luke tells Paul, you need to write to him and tell him that he needs to, to drink a little wine to help his stomach. That time, that was a medicinal way to, to cleanse stomach pain. And so Luke says, here's what you need to do, Timothy. He doesn't say, Timothy, we're praying for you and we know you're healed. Timothy is the preacher. We get two letters to him. He's a great man. Ministers in Ephesus. Well known, well respected by all the members of the church. But Paul couldn't heal him. You hear me? 
Paul couldn't heal him. John was one of his elders. John couldn't heal him. Timothy had a stomach ailment. And not only that, we have the story of Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Paul says, you know, sadly in my travels, I had Trophimus with me, but I had to leave him in Miletus because he was sick. I thought Paul had the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? Paul had the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the greatest preachers the world has ever seen. Miracle after miracle, convert after convert, church after church. And Paul says, not only to Timothy, but he says it to every Christian who's ever read this book, I couldn't heal him. Paul, with all the power, this is a guy who could raise the dead. He could get bit by a serpent, jumping out of the fire, and he's fine, right? Paul says, I couldn't heal him. So baptism is not going to change you physically. It's not going to guarantee that all of your prayers are going to be answered. All your ailments are going to be cured. Number seven, baptism cannot cover up your lack of faith or your lack of repentance. Uh, Bible tells us we got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, John 8 and verse 24, he says, Believer, you'll die in your sins. You have to have a strong faith from the moment you're converted until the moment that you die. It doesn't take away that lack of faith. You have to have faith. You have to have repentance. In fact, uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then we've got Mark 16, 15, and 16. It says, He that believes and is baptized will be saved. But then remember that second part. It says, he who believes not shall be condemned. And some people want to say, well, you know what? That means you can be baptized and be saved, but maybe you can just believe and be saved. That's not what he's saying. That second part of that verse is not just for those that are needing to be saved, but those that are saved. You must continue to believe. You must continue to believe or you'll be condemned. And of course, again, I mentioned John 8, 24, but... Uh, on the screen, you see Luke 13, 3 and 5, where he says you got to repent or you'll perish. Acts 2, 38 is another one. Repent and be baptized. Those are the necessities of baptism, but baptism does not cover up your continued lack of faith or repentance or your unwillingness to do what God has asked you to do. You don't get a pass. You don't get to pick and choose what commands that you want to follow. It's important for us to stay on target. Let me go through a couple more real quick. And then we'll have some discussion. Baptism cannot save you against your will. Having a baptism, or a baptism discussion with some individuals here recently. Had some Bible studies with them. We've gone back and forth through the internet. Had them met here. And they believe that you can baptize for other people. So if, let's say, somebody in here is, dies lost, never accepted Christ... Well, then you can just go, hey, uh, Hunter, would you come next Tuesday? We're going to baptize somebody for Brother Joe because, you know, he, did, he didn't get baptized. We're going to baptize for him. You cannot be saved against your will. No one else can be baptized for you. It is your choice. The statement to Nicodemus is you must be born again. You've got to make the decision and you must act on it. Going back to, to Galatians 3 and verse 27, being baptized into Christ. If you want to get into Christ, you have to get into Christ. You can't expect that praying over someone is going to save them. Now, listen to me very carefully. We have all had people in our lives that we want them to be saved. I mean, we want them and we know that at that last minute, I have had prayer after prayer with people. And I have sat at the deathbed of probably a couple hundred people throughout my life with a 
the time I spent as a chaplain in hospice, I've been called up here to South Baldwin Hospital to stand next to someone. And the family is crying and they're praying that God will save that individual somehow, even though they had turned their back against God their whole life. How do you give comfort to someone who's losing someone that absolutely refused to obey the gospel? You see, they had a choice. They made their choice. And you must also make your choice. If you want to be saved, you have to do what is necessary to be saved. He will not save you against your will. You have to be born again. So you have to make that decision. Number nine, and this is where we're adding to a little bit to what Bailey's sermon was. Baptism cannot save you outside of the church. Billy did a message, it's episode 1305, if you want to look it up, it was a podcast last month, 1305. The title of it is The Call of Wisdom. And in that, he gave a a statement that was made by, I remember if it was Billy Graham that stated, church, Jesus, yes, church, no. Is that about right, Billy? Jesus, yes, church, no. In other words, the emphasis needs to be on Christ. And if the emphasis is on Christ, it's less about the church and more about Jesus. And this is the way our generation sees Christianity. They have no desire to be a part of a church. They just want to simply live their Christian life, and they want to be left alone. They don't want to have to go and be a part of an assembly. You've probably heard it said like this. I don't agree with organized religion. Anybody ever heard that? Don't like it. Don't like organized religion. So you would prefer disorganized religion? Do you, you prefer to just on a whim hope that you get it right? You, you, you want to pick and choose a few Bible verses here and there and a few stories from Scripture, and, and you just want to pray for the grace of God and the mercy of God? I would, I would think that my eternal soul is more valuable than to be trusted by a whim. I want to know that I'm saved. And the Bible plainly teaches us that if we are in Christ, we are in Christ's body, which is The church, the promise of the kingdom coming in Matthew 16 was very clear. The promise of Jesus in John 3 about being born again to enter the kingdom was exceptionally clear. It's the sermon that's preached in Acts chapter 2. What do we need to do to be saved? Well, you need to repent and be baptized. And it says, and they were added to them, added to the church. In order to be a part of the body of Christ, Cornelius had to take the steps necessary for salvation. He couldn't just come into a church. He had to be baptized into Christ, which added him to the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ. It is his body, his church. You are a part of it, like it or not. And that means that if you're a part of the church, there are also some requirements when it comes to worship. There are requirements in the way that we live our individual lives, how we pray, what we do when it comes to Bible study. You cannot be saved outside of the church. You are in the church. There's some other passages I have here on the screen. One is the idea of 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about each one of us are a part of the body and we're joint and knit together. He says that in Ephesians 5, 2. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, it talks about the body of Christ being the church. And so you cannot be saved outside of the church of the Lord, the church of Christ. You can't do it. It's a requirement. Yes, Billy?
Right. That's right. He is the Savior of the body, which is the church. You're not saved because you're in the church. You're in the church because you're saved. That makes sense? That's a great point. Great point. And there are a lot of people who will think that it's easier to just be a Christian. And I can tell you that if you try to live your faith around people that are unbelievers, it is way more difficult to do it when you do not have a Christian base of people to be a part of. It's hard without a church family. And some of you, I know I'm talking to your heart tonight because you've been places before spiritually where you felt like you were all alone and the only people that understood you, accepted you, loved you, picked you up when you were broken was members of the Lord's body. It is impossible, impossible to live a faith of substance alone. We need each other. If we're part of a body, you can't take one part of the body off and sit over here and expect it to live. You can't. It's not going to happen. In fact, if you've ever been in a hospital where you see somebody running down the hallway with one of those little Coleman coolers with taped shut, you know what that means? We know what that means. There's an organ in there, right? They got to hurry. They can't take somebody's heart and say, uh, would you please file that under H over here? We'll come get it when we need it. No, there is someone, it is a life-saving surgery. You must get that heart to that person who is waiting on it. Liver, kidney, lung, you name it. I have a friend who had both their lungs replaced. That's tough. It's, but your body cannot, if you cut off a member alone, it will not survive. And I promise you, you cannot, you will not survive without being a part of the family of God. We need each other. We cannot do it without each other. It's another reason why it's important we connect with people within the body. We need to, if you've ever uh, had something that you didn't look at, maybe you had a little spot on your arm or on your neck or your leg, and you say, I'm going to put it off, I'm not going to get it looked at. That one little thing that you've been putting off may be the one thing that kills you. Little things can end up being big deals. And in the body of Christ, all of us must attend to one another. We take care of one another. We pray for one another. We hold each other. We encourage. We embrace. That's what being a part of the body is all about. Have you ever been at a hospital with somebody that's having surgery? And they'll say, well, you have good news. The surgeon on staff here at this hospital wrote the textbook on this particular surgery. And you go, that's the guy I want every time. It's not just the guy who has taught people to perform the life-saving operation, but the guy who writes the textbook, preaches and teaches the lecture on it. I want that guy. I want him. Remember years ago, back whenever there were football games or basketball games or things like that, they were always wanting that Andrews. What was his name? Yeah, Andrews. The guy, he, he, he's out there on the uh, fields, and they'd say, well, you know, Dr. Andrews is here. He's, he's going to go over and attend to this person. Well, he couldn't be at every game. He couldn't, but it seemed like he was everywhere. They were like, oh, Andrew's Institute, we got this guy. He had to train people to do what he did, to perform operations that were necessary for athletes. Christ, it's his body. Christ founded it. Christ is the builder. It's the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And so if we are a part of Christ, we are a part of Christ's church and we do the things that he has told us and taught us to do. If we love him... 
we keep his commandments. That's a very simple teaching he gave to his apostles. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. And it's not because Jesus wants to boss people around. In fact, Jesus was extremely loving, friendly, compassionate, positive to the people that he was around. But if they needed to do something, he told them what they needed to do. And so they, if they followed him, if they did what he had commanded, they would be safe. But if not, there would be trouble. And then the last one here, and then I'd like to ask some questions if we got some time, is baptism cannot be neglected. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, born of water and spirit. The same teaching is true in Acts 2. Men and brethren, what do we need to do? They ask the question in verse 37. What do, we need, what do we need to do to be saved? And he says, every one of you needs to repent and be baptized. And then he says in the very next verse, if you'll remember in verse 39, and this promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit and salvation through Jesus is available to you, to those who are afar off, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. He continues that trend of, in other words, every person needs to be baptized into Christ. It cannot be neglected. So then we go to something Paul said in Philippians 2 and verse 12, when he says, you need to work out your own salvation. You have to do it yourself. You have to make the choice. You know, I can't, I can't let, I wish somebody else could eat healthy for me, right? I wish somebody else would exercise for me. Hello, y'all with me? I wish somebody else, I wish somebody else would cut my yard. I wish somebody else would do my dishes. I wish somebody else would do my laundry, Right? They do. <laughs> yeah, she's sitting right here. If we expect something to be done regarding salvation, we cannot expect someone else to do it. So I leave this with you. A lot of Christians, a lot of young people, let's say, raised in the church, expect to be saved because of the faith of their parents. And the faith of your parents will get you nowhere when you're headed to the gates. The faith of your parents cannot and will not save you. You must not neglect salvation. That's what we're going to address next Sunday morning. Is it not only the necessity of it, but when you are obedient to Christ in baptism, there are a whole lot of benefits and blessings that are not available otherwise. And then, of course, I've also got on here Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 that says we should not neglect salvation. We do not neglect it. We must do it. We stress the urgency of it. We cannot... We will not, in this pulpit, or in the bulletin, or on our website, or any social media page, encourage people to put off baptism. Don't put it off another minute. We're not going to do it next week or next month. We're not going to set aside a day or a time. You need to do it with urgency at the moment. I love what Peter says when Cornelius and all those begin to receive uh, miraculous power from God. Who can forbid him water? And that's the question we ask. What's keeping you from the water? We need to stress the urgency of it in that moment. What happens if a person leaves the building and is not baptized and they, they die? Well, the Bible teaches us that they're lost. If you're outside of Christ, you're outside of the Lord's church. If you're outside of his body, there is no salvation. There's no sacrifice for sin for someone who has not been immersed in the blood of Jesus and raised up. The other thing, too, I would add to this, and you made a great point about let's just, what if it's just a week or what if it's just two weeks? And I'll tell you this, there's a, a, a great debate, and I can't remember the, the date it was given. If I find it, I'll put it, I'll put it online. Jimmy Allen was doing a debate with a Baptist preacher, 
And the preacher was talking about how they believe in baptism, but they believe you can set aside a date to do it or uh, organize a big baptismal ceremony. <clears throat> and so he asked Jimmy Allen, he said, what if someone dies, like you said, out on the street? Would they be lost? And he said, if they're outside of Christ, they're lost. He's like, well, what if somebody says, I want to be baptized tonight? I'm going to do it tonight. And they leave. And Jimmy says, well, I pretty much, I guess that they would be lost. And he says, well, let's say, what if they're just walking up the steps to the baptistry, and as they're about to get into the water, they fall into the baptistry and they die? And he says, well, I, I don't know. I'm not the judge. I would think maybe at least they were kind of trying their best to get to the water, to get to be saved. So he said, maybe, maybe God would have grace on them because they're about to enter the water. And the, the, the Baptist preacher says, aha, you know, you agree the same thing we do, that he could have been saved without getting into the water. You could be saved, like me, that I didn't have to be baptized that day. Of course, Jimmy Allen's re uh, response to that is something like this. Yeah, but are you getting into the water? <laughs> you know, are, you, are you dying at the point that you're about to be immersed? But if we're, and this is a hard teaching, but it is not, it's not because we have a standard. It's not because we have a book of discipline. It's not because there is a certain creed by which I signed on to when I became a preacher in the church. It's not because we have a mantra or a motto as a congregation of the Somerdale Church of Christ. It's because it is biblical, and we read just a moment ago, that baptism saves there are a lot of things people think that saves them, but baptism is what saves. The other thing, too, is like you think of it like a policeman. Let's say you get pulled over by a policeman, and he says, well, you were speeding. And you say, I was, but my spouse is having a heart attack. I got to get to the hospital. I said, well, sorry about that, but we're going to write you a ticket. So I know what the law says about speeding. I know what the rules are, but when we face the judge, it is his choice. It is his decision. All I can tell you is what the law says, and I can tell you how to be saved. I'm not going to risk anything on hoping that I get a judge on a good day. I'm not, I'm not going to go on, you know, here's this, this judge who's going to throw things out. But it's his judgment. And it does say, and I, I believe in that verse, and I totally agree with it. By grace have been saved. But there's this really tragic thing that people do. The Bible says we should rightly divide the Word of God. People can divide it any way they want. They can take this verse, that verse, half of this one, all of that one. But it says we're saved by grace. That's wonderful. Saved by a full tank of gas. But somebody's got to push the pedal. Faith is a work. We're saved by faith. In fact, in, uh, uh, in James's gospel, James talks about the necessity of being able to use our faith in an active way. Show me faith, I'll show you works. You show me works, I'll show you faith. They go together. So I can believe all day long in the grace of God, but it's not going to get me one destination to the other. I may have fuel in the tank, but i got to put my foot on the pedal. So active faith is what saves. Grace through faith. And yeah, it's not of ourselves. It's something God does. He doesn't save every person that gets dunked. Okay? He knows the heart of the individual and whether or not they are repentant and whether or not they confess and whether or not their heart believes unto salvation. The, the last, one more thing, we're past time, but let me mention this one. Nobody's brought up yet. What about the man on the, on the island? Don't you love that one? Y'all get that one? But Brother Ray, what if there was some tribe of you know, people out here on some island somewhere and they ain't heard the gospel? I guess that. What do you think? They lost... And I say, absolutely, outside of Christ, one is lost. Is that harsh? Here's what I know. God has told us to get to work. 
He has told us to spread the gospel. There are lost people. It's not on God's hands. It's on our hands that we are supposed to go into all the world. He doesn't send angels to do it. He doesn't open the sky. He doesn't pour out his miraculous power so people miraculously know that he is the son of God. He says, you got a world to save, now go do it. So when people are lost, that's on our hands. If we have a neighbor, they're on that island. How are they going to hear? Somebody's got to speak it. So the people around us should not neglect salvation. And we should not neglect preaching and teaching the gospel to those that are lost. Uh, one thing, too, along with that is the idea of those that are on that particular island or those that haven't heard. I would also say this. It, I don't think it's possible to live a human existence and not recognize that we didn't get here by some accident. And I'll tell you this thought. But what about all these people in all these foreign countries? When were you born? June 10th, 1977. 1977. I'm fill out a check Sunday morning. 2000 what? 23. In China, what year is it? In Africa, what year is it? In Australia, what year is it? What's the year symbolize? The coming of Christ. There is no human that follows the numbering system of the years of our A.D., they now say A.C.E., after the common era, A.C., the A.D., the year of Christ, B.C., before Christ, no one can look at a calendar or drive through any town and not see some place of worship, even if it's not a biblical place of worship. It's very hard to live a human life and not know of the name of God or the name of Christ. Now, they may not know the Bible, they may not know about the church, but you ought to be able to ask questions. Some of us were lucky. We had parents and grandparents that drug us to church, right? Vacation Bible school. Some of us, every time the doors, you ever hear that? Every time the doors were open, we were there. The problem now is a lot of our parents and grandparents are not getting them here every time the doors opened. But we know that there are churches, there are buildings, there are places, recognition of Jesus, there are players and athletes and stars. They may even abuse the name of Jesus, but his name's out there. You, we can't run from it. Uh, and, and the best thing is I have to think about God every time I sign a check. Every time I celebrate a birthday. I have to think about it. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Dot com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.